Hi, good morning, friends. Let's uh, flip over to Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> we'll continue there this morning. All right. Last week, uh, we looked at the beginning uh, of this little portion that we'll read right now, and we're going to look at the second half of this portion this morning. So if you uh, need a Bible, uh, well, I guess they're in the back. I'm sure if you need one, just raise your hand, and Luke or somebody will run and grab you one. Uh, I think they all got sanitized. Buyer beware on that one. Acts 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a long life, excuse me, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then fasting, excuse me, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And it's a Pretty fantastic little piece here. And as we said last week, if you remember, or if you weren't here, this is, I think, it's a kind of a singular and a really a wonderful little set of verses that we have here, a wonderful account of God directly working in the church and maneuvering people and speaking. And I think just based on that one little piece there, the Holy Spirit said, I think for many of us in a corporate sense, meaning all the church and, and also in a private sense, that that's what we desire in our lives, right? We, we come to, to meet together. We, maybe if you're involved in any kind of small group stuff or the senior thing or the youth group or all the different things that we have, they're all opportunities. And most likely the reason we come is to hear the Holy Spirit speak. And that happens in all sorts of different ways. You know, uh, perhaps in, in a, uh, a sermon or in a small group setting, someone just sharing something, sometimes someone just even texting, or uh, I, I use the example of watching The Apostle last week, well, not that I watched it last week, but that, not that I wouldn't, but that it was uh, just for me personally where I was at, here's this movie about essentially Christianity and, and different things like that, and it moved in my own life to understand some things that I was wondering about. Not that I'm saying let's go to Hollywood for our interpretations, but you get my point. So there, that here is what's happening in the church is that the people are getting together, they're spending time together. We talk about that, we talk about fellowship, talked about the fact that here you have them involved in two examples. It says that they were worshiping, and the word there again, it's only used three times in the New Testament, it, it refers to service, uh, whether it's giving money or giving of time, or the priests that were standing before the Lord in the Old Testament. So this idea, they were serving the Lord, and again, remember it's present active, they were continually serving the Lord. It wasn't that they showed up for one prayer meeting, which is great, and they're outstanding. And if I can make a shameless plug, I have to say our Thursday prayer meetings have been uh, fantastic. It's been really cool seeing some, uh, a lot of prayers being answered, and God's really doing some great things. Uh, aside from that, it wasn't that they went to one singular time to seek the Lord, although those are good and healthy. It was that their lifestyle was that. That this was something that they were doing. They were constantly serving the Lord, and they were fasting. And we kind of broke it down to the idea they were abstaining from one thing to be able to do another. Uh, and, and if you'd like, you can go back and uh, listen to it if you weren't there, if you're curious about it. So here's this, this lifestyle. Again, is it the abstaining and the praying and all these activities that make them right with God or that somehow makes God like them more, and then therefore He answers their prayer? No. Not at all. It has nothing to do with favor or grace or anything. What it has to do with is positioning ourselves, preparing ourselves to hear from God. 
uh, as, we, as we talked about last week, we live in a pretty crazy time right now. Uh, the world's always been crazy, but it seems like it's getting more and more where you have very limited information. Um, I referenced a documentary I'd watched that, that basically the creators of our social media are testifying to the fact that they created what they created, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or whatever, to only give you the information that they think that you'll like. Meaning you'll never, it's, the algorithms are designed to read what you click on and what you like and never give you a different view. And that is to ensure that you'll continue to watch their stuff. So in a world where we're unable to dialogue without emotion and hatred and rage, in a world where we're unable to be able to have an exchange of ideas, where it's really getting uh, kind of scary and limited in that sense. And because of that, uh, we need to be engaged with, on a daily basis, the Lord. We need to be engaged with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. We, we just never can be surprised, especially if we're just pouring uh, junk into our hearts. And here's the thing. We don't even have to try, right? So I'm not making some sort of accusations like, if you're on Facebook, you're a bad person. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that everything that we have in this life when we go to our jobs, when we go to our schools, when we drive down the road and we see billboards, and when we stand in the checkout lines and we see the magazines, every single thing is in this world is, in a sense, the spirit of Antichrist. It is replacing what is good and, and what is of the Lord. So when we're constantly bombarded, either intentionally or unintentionally, without accusation or condemnation, that affects our souls, Right? And so if we're not in a, pre, in a present active, as it were, verb tense of walking with Jesus, then we're going to succumb to those ideas. Because it is, it is a true statement that garbage in, garbage out. If we're not contradicting the bad teachings and the bad ideas of this world with intaking from God, then we, we just, we'll just have bad fruit. Because we're, we're going to be, to, we, may, we may battle it, we may have a conscience about it, but unless we're being cleansed and washed, that's ultimately where we end up. And that's, when you see these guys, you see a, a different thing that's happening. They're available to what the Lord has for them, and all of a sudden the Lord does speak to them. And we talked about the fact that they all come from different places, and we'll talk about that again today, actually, because that's a very important part of Christian ministry. A very important part of being involved with one another and helping each other and being involved with God's work is being able to understand that we're all from different places and times and different likes, dislikes, different styles, whatever you would like to say it, right? Uh, we all, we're comfortable with different things. Even on down to personal space, some people are, they're face talkers and they're right there. God bless them. There's nothing wrong with that. And some people are, hey, let's stay far apart. Some people you know, whatever, use one expression. Some people use another expression. And in a world right now where to disagree with someone is to dislike them, as that culture creeps into the church, it's so important that we understand that we have to lay aside people's pasts. We have to be sensitive to who someone is. We have to be laying down our lives for one another. Or else this whole thing called the church, it just it won't work. Because the church works based on mutual love and respect and building one another up. Um, anyway, in, in, in their backgrounds, you really see that. And we're not going to spend, we talked about it last week, but specifically you have Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod. Herod, right, the guy that, that killed, uh, that had the Lord crucified, that mocked him or was part of that crucifixion. Now he's in with the apostles, and he's, God's using him. 
right? Because in this example, you have prophets and teachers, people that God has gifted to use to share their word, excuse me, his word with his people. And now he's in that group. And there could have been all sorts of uh, different, you know, we talked about Niger, how that's a, it's a Latin nickname, a Roman nickname to a guy, and how he's now interacting with Jews. So you have the, the, the people that conquered interacting with the conquered of the past life, right? But now they're citizens of heaven. Their, their earthly citizenship no longer matters anymore as far as uh, having interaction with one another and helping each other. But there'd have to be some understanding there, some curiosity there, some willingness to ask, why did you say that? Or what makes you think that? Or, you know, whatever it might be. So all I have to say is this, you have kind of these little verses, and, you know, I shouldn't say little verses, but you have this little snippet in the scriptures given to us by Luke through the Holy Spirit, but it lays out an idea that's really important, and it's that you have people that were seeking the Lord together and getting along regardless of their past, dealing with their issues, and that's what the church needs today. It's no wonder that way back when, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? People that make peace, not people that antagonize or people that push or people that, there's no blessing in that but there's blessedness in peacemakers. So the second part of what I want to talk about today is this, is the idea of what the Holy Spirit set apart. We know who was there. We know what they were doing in their lives and what their lives were like. And we know that the Holy Spirit spoke to them. But now let's look at in verse 2, what did he say to them? He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. There's a fantastic verse. If you want to flip over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, and one of the reasons uh, I think it's so apropos or so great for our time today is it really lays out the idea of salvation, excuse me, and then the idea of service and how one leads to the other. Not that salvation doesn't take works, but salvation will lead to, if we let God into our lives, lead to fruit, and it does every time. And it says there in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And if I can just make a side note there, if you're a Bible underliner or highlighter, I highly suggest you underline or highlight that if you're not familiar with it. Uh, I know all of us are different as far as being able to memorize things. If you can memorize this, it's an excellent one to memorize. Why? This is literally the lens by which we interpret all other Scripture. It really is. Because there's a million things that come down the pike that, that talk about how a person gets saved. Baptism, speaking in tongues, all sorts of different things, fulfilling the law. But what does this say? You've been saved by grace. Unmerited favor. Right? That's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. In other words, favor that you didn't earn or deserve from God. You got saved by grace through faith. So what did your faith do? Your faith acknowledged, the Spirit spoke to you, you acknowledged and said, yes, it, I need what Jesus did on the cross. I need that forgiveness that He bought for me with His blood. And when you said that, in whatever form you said it in, Lord, help me, Lord, I need you, Lord, forgive me, Lord, whatever your prayer was, when that ascension went up, He saved your soul. He gave you a new life and a new nature in Christ. 
So anytime you read 1 John or Hebrews 6 or Hebrews 10 or all the different verses, you know, sections of verses that can be a little bit difficult to interpret, we have to grab two, chapter, or, uh, Ephesians 2.8 and we have to stick it at the top of Hebrews 6, at the top of Hebrews 10, at the top of 1 John, and then say, okay, how does this come from here? So when I read other things that may not make sense to me, I know exactly how I got saved and I don't have to exchange the plain for the obscure. Does that make sense? I don't read something that's hard to, hard to understand and then go, well, I guess it actually kind of is by works. Oh, well. No, it's never by works. And so that's a, I, forgive me for getting off task with that side note, but I tell you, in this day and age, that's one of the things that's so important. We never got saved. It even specifically says, not as a result of works. So anytime, any place, anywhere, I read something in the, in, the, in the Bible, or I read someone's pamphlet, or I listen to someone's teaching, and they say, actually, you need to be baptized too, or actually, you have to speak in tongues, or actually, if you don't get involved in the church, or actually, I can go, oh, you're wrong. I love you. I want the best for you, but I can reject what you're saying, because I know right here exactly how a person got saved. And you know what? That's why we have comfort and peace in the gospel, because, man, I don't want to sound pompous or like a jerk, but it gets a little bit humorous when you start to hear people say that they believe that they're saved by their works. Not, I'm not trying to mock someone, but you just, I think sometimes when we get that mentality, if I begin to have that mentality, when you think about what you're saying, you're actually saying, I'm good enough to be saved. I can do enough to be saved. I can outdo my bad with my good. I, it's a crazy thing. Anyway, I digress. But I feel like it's a good digression. It's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared hand, beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the thing. We're never saved by our works. But when we got saved, we, get, we got a new life. It's the life of Christ. And that's it's Romans 6, 7, and 8. We got a new life in Christ. And that part of that new life, what God is doing in our life, not part of us to save us or something like that, but part of that new life that we've been created for is to do good works. We are his workmanship. And maybe you're familiar with this because the Greek word there is poema. We're his artistry. He's creating something. So this new life that we received in Christ, the, the, the powerful life, the life that enables me to say no to sin, the life that enables me to say yes to God, the life that enables me to endure all things for the sake of Christ, the, the, the life that says I can do all things that Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. Anything He calls me to do, I can do that. Anything He calls me to go through, I can go through that because I have this new life in Christ. And part of that new life is allowing God to work in me and me to bear fruit for Him. And this is part, I think, is very important for us as Christians because when we get saved, it's not just now to get saved and kind of float around and be blown about, as the Bible puts it, by every wind of doctrine. To, be, to go to the checkout stand and wonder, maybe my life really is hid in glamour. Maybe my value really is in money. Maybe my value really is in whatever, all the things that the world says our value is in. But instead, in this new life, now I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm listening to what God has for me, which we saw in the first parts of these verses. And now I'm listening to what God has for me to be able to walk in what He has for me to bear the fruit because He's working in me. So if doing good works is part of what God has for me, when I walk in those good works by the power He's given me through the new spirit, I should say the new life through His spirit that I have, 
then that's going to complete me. Does that make sense? Service is so important to the soul. And I'm not saying service like make sure you serve here at the church, something like that, oh, that's great, but service to Christ, listening and obeying Christ and what he's called you to do, whatever that might be. Pull over because there's someone on the side of the road or give someone a five spot or help someone with, you know, move or give someone a word that encouraged you or whatever. That the, having that outflow from you, remember Jesus also told us that the, one of the things, the fruits of the Spirit there in uh, the great day of the feast, he says that out of, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, right? And in this he spoke of the Spirit, that those who uh, believed on him would receive afterwards. This amazing life this, that, that is illustrated for us as a river of living water that's just pouring out of our soul. The, the picture there, obviously, is refreshment, is revitalization, right? But these things come through hearing the Spirit and, and walking in what you've been created to be, walking in the workmanship to be able to experience what God has for you. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing. Anyway, so the first thing we see there is he said, set them apart from me. It was specifically a workmanship that God has started in you. The Bible says he'll continue until the day of Jesus Christ. He that began a good work in you there in Galatians. This amazing thing that God is doing and now he, and he summarizes it by saying this, set them apart from me. This was the Holy Spirit's work. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas's work. It wasn't their idea. It, wasn't, it was God saying, I have this for you. There was a setting apart for you. This is important in our personal ministries, in our service to the Lord. Our service to the Lord, even if it has to do with helping people, the, in this case, these were these particular people that we have listed here. They were known as prophets and teachers. But you know, they're not prophets and teachers. Their ministry isn't first and foremost to the people that they're prophesying and teaching. It's to the Lord. It's to be separated to Him. I'll tell you what: people can never be the primary motivation for our ministry, because people, all of us, will let all of us down. And so if, we, if you go out there and you think, I'm going to minister to people because they're going to appreciate it, or I'm going to minister to people because they'll appreciate me, or I'm going to minister to people because there'll be this instantaneous, amazing fruit, and all this is going to happen, it, it won't sustain you. It just won't. Because what we expect from people, and oftentimes what people give us, are two different things. And we're not called to expect from people. If we're ministering, expecting people to respond, and they do respond because of that, the motivation of our ministry, we've just made them our servants. We do what we do in any realm that we do it because the Holy Spirit has first said, you're separated to me. You're mine. We serve whom we serve. We get up every morning and do what we do because we say, Lord, I, I want to serve you today. The fallout from that, or the, the effect of that, is the fact that we oftentimes serve people. And that's great. And it can be a real blessing to serve people. It can be a real blessing to interact with people. And that, it's fine to absorb and appreciate that blessing. But it's not a primary motivation. We're always, first and foremost, in our ministries, separated to the Lord, separated to the Spirit, responding to what the Spirit wants of us. The other side of that that's very important is that we don't minister just on the basis of need. There will be times in your life where somebody will just have a need and you just have to do it. But there are times in your life where if you, you can't minister based out of need. 
Because there's never an end of need. People never stop needing. People never stop needing help. They never stop needing food. They never stop needing love. They never stop needing clothes. They never stop needing uh, support. That never happens. So there are definitely times in our life where we just have to say, no, I can't. I can't today. I can't do that today. You know, I promised my kids I'd do X. And I'm not going to throw my kids on the altar of ministry today. I don't necessarily suggest you say that to someone. But at the same time, you say, no, I, I can't do that today. I have commitments for that today. Or there might be, you know, you guys get the point. There can be a million things. But we don't, we don't do a million things for a million people. We do what the Spirit moves us to do. And sometimes we say yes, and some, not to the, to, the, to the Spirit, but to people. Sometimes we say yes, and sometimes we say no. But it's all based on being separated to the Spirit and what He has for us. The second idea we see here is that they were separated to work, that they had to work. Now, in their work, and, and I want to kind of start off with a very basic idea here, because the work is kind of big, right? And you hear like kingdom work, kingdom values, working for the kingdom, the work of the Lord, building the kingdom, right? These are all kind of Christianese sayings, not bad sayings, but they're, all, they're kind of Christian sayings for kind of the same idea, the same thing, being involved with what God has for you. But as a person, how do I begin to be in the work? How do I, I shared a, uh, a story recently uh, just about my own personal, when I moved up here and the difficulty that came with that and feeling lost. Um, how do, if I've, if I've moved to a new place or if I'm just getting started or if I've if I'm kind of been doing my own thing, how do I start again? Or how do I get involved with God's work? Because there could be like a million things maybe that you can sign up for. But again, as, as a foundational idea, if you flip over to John, John chapter 6, In John chapter 6, again, this is, a, this is a favorite of mine. Part of it is I'm living vicariously through a roommate I had many, many years ago. And part of it is because I think it's just a tremendous verse. I had a roommate years and years ago, and he was, a, he was a, actually, he loved the Lord Jesus. He was a great guy. And I was very uh, motivated by him. I appreciated being able to observe his life. He was a very humble guy, uh, very mellow, and le legitimately his life was about serving the Lord. And I, know, I knew him probably, he was older than me, I think I was in my mid-20s, he was I think at that point in his 40s, and uh, we both went to the same church, and so uh, I needed a place to stay, and I rented a room in his apartment. This guy, before I knew him, um, was about the most faithful guy you could probably ever meet. He, um, for a long time, he wanted to be healthy for the Lord because he believed that, you know, health and these type of things are, are important to make yourself available, which there's a truth to that for God's service. So for about a decade, he ate rice and beans every meal. And he did it to maintain weight, and he did it to be able to uh, have more money to be able to give to others. He had a prayer list that was about a mile long. And every night, he, he would get on his knees, and he would pray this, over this prayer list for all these people. And he never used a pillow for his knees, because he said to himself, if I can't endure for this reason, if I can't endure through this prayer, then I'm milk toast. I'm a weak Christian. And so he would kneel on, this, on these floors for, for hours in prayer. And he, 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 this was all before I knew him. 
But his whole life, his whole motivation was, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be 100% His. I'll endure anything for Him. But he got kind of a, kind of maybe a little bit of a weird idea on how that works, a weird idea on what, you know, what we have to put ourselves through, borderline on some of the kind of the monk ideas of whipping ourselves and just being, you know, dealing with the flesh and never giving room and so forth. And what happened, when I met him, he was a completely different guy. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord tirelessly, but he ate things like steak and, <laughs> you know, we had burritos in our house now and again. I mean, everything changed. And, and he, he, we, were, we were talking, well, actually what had happened was uh, when the, I had, it wasn't like a gossip type of situation, but somebody was mentioning one time a transformed lives and they had mentioned my roommate and what he was like then and what he was like now. And I said, well, what happened? And he said, and, and I asked my roommate, like, what, you know, after I found that out, I asked him, I said, what happened in your life? What changed it? And he goes, and he told me this story. So I, I was sharing another person's story. I'm sorry for that, but uh, it, it just, it's actually moved me in my own life, so I'll pass it on to you. Uh, he was at a Thursday night. We used to do these Thursday night outreaches. We had a book table, and it was a farmer's market in San Luis because there's sun all year round. And so at this farmer's market, sometimes you know, during the summer, you'd have 10,000 people just going up and down Higuera Street. It's a big three-lane one-way, and they'd just be, it'd just be lined with every booth you can imagine and live music and barbecues and all that. Pretty sure it's what heaven's made of. But, so you would, you would go down there, and uh, the smells of barbecue would be everywhere you went. And, and so we'd have this book table, and we'd talk to people about the Lord, and we had an open-air preaching team for a while. You'd stand on a corner and preach, and it's amazing. You'd get 100 people that would stand up and listen to the gospel and all sorts of stuff. And so he was at this book table because he would never miss a book table. And some guy came out of the crowd and, and just walked up to the book table and asked him his name. And he said, well, I'm Jack. And this guy goes, let me ask you something, Jack. What are you doing out here? He says, well, I'm doing the work of the Lord. And Jack, that was Jack's reply. And the guy said to him, he goes, well, he goes uh, why? And he goes, well, it's because. You know, I want to be available to the Lord. I want to be sanctified by the Lord. I, I need to work hard for the Lord. I, I don't want to let him down for him saving me. And, you know, kind of, a, kind of a works-based idea, which those are all fine motivations to an extent. And the guy goes, well, what do you think the, the work of the Lord is about, Jack? He goes, well, it's about outreach, it's about studying the Word, it's about praying, it's about being, you know, doing those things that he's called us to. And he goes, he goes let me ask you something, Jack. He says, uh, what, is, what does John 8, 28 say, or 6, 28 say? And this is what it says. Then they said to him, what, we, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So you have this group of people, and they're all following Jesus around at this point because they will not, I shouldn't say all, the bulk of them are following Jesus around because they want bread. And Jesus tells them, you need to stop working for this bread that perishes. And they say, okay, well then what should we do? How do we do what God wants us to do? What's, what are the works? What are the activities that God wants us to do? And Jesus replies to them, this is the one work. This is what God is asking you to do, to believe him. That's it. Now, will that lead to fruit? Yes, because you are his workmanship, and he will speak to your heart, whether in a group setting or in a private setting, and he will say, this is what I have for you to do. But first and foremost, this is the work of God. This is what God is wanting in your life and in the lives of the people around you, and it's to trust him unequivocally, unwaveringly. 
And everything He's doing in our lives is to achieve that end. And everything we're doing in other people's lives is to achieve that end. Let me help you so that you can trust God. Not me or a ministry or anything like that. And that one night in, that, in my roommate's life, it changed him forever. Because the guy literally just walked away. Jack is convinced it was an angel. Because the guy walked away and, and I tell you what, when you use 52 weeks a year, every Thursday night, for 15 years, you get to know the same faces. He'd never seen them since, and you never saw them afterwards. Maybe he was an angel, maybe he wasn't. But the point being, the guy literally walked up and had a two-minute conversation with him, and the Holy Spirit ministered to his heart, and it changed his whole life. All of a sudden, he was able to have peace. He wasn't working for his salvation anymore. All of a sudden, he was able to have joy because he just was able to be saved and he knew what God was trying to do in his life. So this is what we're called to. Trusting him will lead to practical activity. It always will because he's doing something. Whether we were to turn to Matthew 16 where we would read where Jesus told Peter, upon this rock himself, this Petra, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, then, and we could look to other places where he says, I'm, that God says, I'm making a bride, where God says, I'm stirring up a brother. All these different ideas. But the core foundation is this, that what we've been called to do is to believe God in every situation and to listen to him when he speaks to us and to walk in obedience to that, that call. And when we do that, that's where we find the reality of Christianity. We're never going to find the reality. I shouldn't say never. We will not often find the reality of Christianity and kind of sitting and measuring from the sidelines. It just doesn't work that way. As we looked at last week, it'd be as if you had a surgeon or a doctor that just kind of sat in on a few med classes. Never going to fully experience or be able to be involved in what a surgeon does if you just sit on a couple classes. And so it is with us. We're called to more than just sit in. We're called to begin to walk and to listen and to be involved. Lastly, we'll turn and we'll look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. The Holy Spirit said, Separate Paul and Barnabas to the work that I have called them to. So lastly, we'll, we'll, this idea of calling... In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writing to Timothy. This is Paul's swan song. He'll be beheaded by Nero not long after this letter is written. But as he's writing to, to Timothy, in verse 3 he says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Now obviously that's a very personal note that he's making to Timothy, it's important to remember this letter is written to Timothy, but we can, um, oh, I'm in the wrong one. I was like, eh. So he says there, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois 
and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And he starts by writing to Timothy, and one of the things that Timothy, evidently, from the little that we know from what Paul wrote, (laughs) it's eternalized for us. He had stomach problems, he had health problems. Um, in fact, Paul says, drink a little wine for your often infirmities, for your, the infirmities you regularly have. I think that's also noteworthy, just as far as why didn't, if, if kind of the whole idea of praying away every illness is true, then why did Paul write to Timothy and say, hey, take some wine for your often in, in, infirmities? Why didn't he say, your unbelief is causing you to be sick? So just a note, Timothy was an often infirm person. People with bad health do not mean they're unfaithful. It means they're a person with bad health. That's really important. Otherwise, I think we could, if it was truly always a faith issue, clearly Paul would have said, Timmy, you need to repent, bro, and you need to trust the Lord. But he didn't. He said, drink some wine. It'll help with your tum-tum. <laughs> but he says there, we also know from this, he says, I remember your tears. Timothy seems to be kind of a, sen- a sensitive guy. In another place, he, he con- and here he, d- he addresses fear here. He also addresses fear in his first letter there, uh, the, the first Timothy. So we kind of have a guy. He's, he's evidently sickly to some extent. He is fearful, and he he's, has tears. Again, I'm not mocking tears. Uh, but he, he, he weeps over the work, over whatever it might be. He's, he has emotion. So here's, here's Timothy. Like, it seems to be kind of the, the, a little bit, a little bit of the... the uh, um, well, anyway, for time's sake, we'll skip that thought. So we have... And this is what he's writing to him. He says, look, I want you to fan, fan into flame the gift of God. How do we do that? Is it by trying harder? Is it by uh, working harder? No, I don't, I don't believe so. It's just by being available. I mean, yes, you, if you know what your gifting is, what God's called you to do, you may be able to improve on that. We have a Bible teaching class. We have different things. But at the end of the day, this idea of putting some sort of effort, whether it's by prayer or by searching, uh, whether it's by practicing, seeking, whatever it might be, this idea of fanning into flame. What's the implication there? It takes an effort. That's the implication. Even if you have a gifting, it takes an effort to make sure that you're using it. Why does he need to use it? Well, in this case, Timothy is a pastor. And he's, he's got people relying on him. And sometimes we might even say, well, yeah, Timothy's a pastor. Of course he needs to fan that in the flame. I'm not a pastor. I don't have that, that calling or that position or however you'd like to label it. So I don't really need to worry about that. No, the body needs you. Ephesians 4 tells us very clearly that the body is built up, not when your pastor is the best pastor in the world, although that might help, but no, the body is built up when every joint supplies. Every part of the body pitches in. Every part of the body. It's, this isn't a guilt trip, but here's the truth. If you're, if you're holding your gifting back, you're taking back from, the, from, from God's people or from God's kingdom. And again, I'm not saying if you're not emptying the trash of the church, you're failing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're ignoring what God's calling you to do or has called you to do in your life, and you're not investing in the gifts that he's given you, then you are detracting from God's kingdom, or at the very least causing a lack to be there. And I am too, if I do that. That's not a guilt issue. 
It's just that I want to point out the fact that we depend on you. Each other depends on each other. Again, which is why we have to put our backgrounds behind us, be willing to work through problems together, love one another, care for one another. If we don't have that reality going, we just, we're not going to be as effective for the kingdom as we could be. So we'll end with this verse here, and he goes on, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel of the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And he closes this with Paul, with, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, and he says this, he, God saved us, and he called us with a holy calling. Not because we deserve to be saved or to be called. Not because we'd always do everything right. From creation, from Adam and Eve until now, followers of God have been dysfunctional. And that'll never change. But God has always used dysfunctional people from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob through Joseph. All the people, whether you know, all the, the lineage and, and Ephraim and all these people He's always used dysfunctional people. He's always called dysfunctional people. And the promise is that when we walk with him and heed him and listen to him, when we we acknowledge his call in our life and respond to it, even just to start fanning the flame. Now, when you, you, for example, we have wood heat in our house, and every morning about 5 when I get up, the, there's like one tiny little coal, right? You know what I'm talking about? There'll be like one, a couple of little coals in there and, and whatever, and you have to kind of get this, the, the little poker out uh, and you kind of push them together. You push the coals together and then you start to blow on the coals, right? You don't just throw more wood on. I don't just go to the wood pile and be like, here's this 37 degree piece of wood, boop, put it in there and expect it just and be amazing, right? You don't do that. If you did, you'd be cold a lot for a long time. But no, you, you, you get the, 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 the coals together, you get a little piece of kindling, you kind of lay it on top, on top, and you just fan it, you just blow it, right? And it gets a little bit oranger, and a little bit oranger, and a little bit oranger, and then what do you have to do? You have to put up with a bunch of smoke, right? Because it, it hasn't quite caught, so you're getting, you're getting the smoke, and it's a lie. Where there's smoke, there's not always fire, right? Because you're in there, and it's, it's, it becomes like this judgment of how fast can I fan the flame versus how much smoke I get in my house. And you blow, and you blow, and then all of a sudden, you deal with the smoke, you're coughing, you wave it, whatever you do, and then boom, there's flame. And when there's flame, you don't then just sudden then grab the big pieces of wood and just throw them in there and close the door, do you? No, you work on it more. And you work on it more. And sometimes it fails. And you're like, oh, that piece was too heavy. And you squash them, right? And then you go, okay, well, I'm going to put, put them back to... And you, and you make sure it works. You, you, you're gentle with it. And so here's the thing. God is inviting you to fan and to flame your giftings. He knows what we're like. Psalm 103 says, He remembers He made you out of dirt. He says He, remem- he remembers that our frame is weak. And you think about that, the body and the brain, all the stuff we have to deal with. So when, when he invites you to fan your gift, when he invites you to, flan, to, to fan your calling, when he invites you to ignite in your life, as it were, 
to find that fire, to find a, a passion and an excitement or even an interest in his work. He's not just going to throw massive logs on you and expect you to, to just be this flaming fire. He's working with you. He's being kind to you. He's doing everything in your life that you need to do great things and to experience him. It just all boils down to, are we making the decision that needs to be made? What do we esteem that's better? What is, what is better than God's work? What is better than being involved with him? Why do we think that that's better? How has it ever proven to be better in our lives? What fruit has it ever had? When we can kind of leave maybe an emotional and, and maybe a bad way of thinking about things and begin to invoke critical thinking and, and investment into what God has for us, that's where we really begin to walk with Him. So God has great things for you. We, we're going to have some communion this morning. It may not seem like a super communion message, but the point that, and the reason uh, for communion is just to take some time. Take some time. Remember the Lord. Remember what He did for us, that He loves us, He cares for us. Since we have kind of a, uh, a smaller service, um, we're just going to have you guys come up and, and uh, uh, take the, uh, the cup and the bread and uh, then we'll have a couple songs. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness and your grace. And this is the wonderful opportunity that we have for worship and for being involved with what you have for us. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Uh, you've been very good to us. We pray you bless uh, this time of communion. Bless our time to remember you and that you would meet us or speak to our hearts. And... Uh, Please be with us this week, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.